We still haven't worshipped him enough, and we still haven't expressed to him enough gratitude, amen, for what he's done in our lives and what he means to us, amen. Most of us, we'd be perfectly honest about it, most of us are uh, way behind on our gratitude. Amen? Way behind on our gratitude. I find myself in uh, terms of correspondence in the ministry, just simple notes and thank yous and so forth, I stay way behind. I'm always running behind. But man, if you were to consider what God's done, I mean, if we were to just think about today, what God's done today, I'd say we're way behind. Amen. Way behind. It'll take an eternity. And I know eternity has no end, but it'll take an eternity. And uh, we'll still be praising him and thanking him and giving him his due rewards of glory for what he's done in our lives. Amen. And uh, my goodness, I don't know how you'd ever thank him enough just for salvation. Say amen right there. And uh, if you set that aside and then you get to thinking about everything he's done before he, after he saved us, then how in the world could we ever tell him thank you enough for his goodness and for his mercy and for his love? Amen. Well, find your place, 2 Timothy chapter number 2 again. 2 Timothy chapter number 2 as we continue to walk through this passage of Scripture. Sure appreciate how God's stirring in our souls tonight. It's already been good to be in the house of the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter number 2, uh, I'll start our reading in verse number 1. I remind you where we're going in our context or passage of Scripture, and that is that the whole counsel of 2 Timothy uh, is simply this, that somebody's got to pick up where somebody else left off. That there is a, there is a path forward, amen. And if there's a path forward, there is a duty, there's a responsibility. And I, I think about a passage of Scripture like this, this is what comes to my mind, that uh, there are those in the Christian walk that just simply have never made a commitment. That amazes me. But we, we know, I mean, there are people that have been saved by the grace of God and they have never committed their lives to Christ. Now, they got saved because they committed their souls to Christ. And I understand the idea of full surrender and lordship. I understand that. It's amazing how quickly we picked up what remained of our life and took it with us and decided we were going to consume it upon our own lust instead of giving it to the God of heaven. You think about those lepers in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And the Bible said that there were ten of those lepers and they cried out to the Lord and he said, go show yourself to the priest. And when they had gone, they said as they went, they saw that they were healed. And, and uh, nine of them, all of them were given their lives back, but nine of them took the life that they were given and walked away from the one that gave it to them. Say amen. They, they, they loved the life that he gave them, but they didn't love the one that gave them life. And uh, the Bible said out of those ten, only one of them turned back to give God glory for what had been accomplished in his healing. And I'm afraid there's a lot of people that are like Adam. Well, we're all like Adam, aren't we? Amen. And uh, do you know what Adam's problem was? If you go back to the story of the original sin of mankind and study the context of that passage of Scripture, the Bible's very clear that Eve was deceived. Now, that's not an excuse. You don't get a pass because you're deceived, right? I mean, that's like running down the, that's like running down the highway out here not knowing the speed limit drops from 55 to 45 and getting pulled over by the deputy sheriff or the city policeman and uh, you say, I didn't know, I didn't know. Well, you're still going to get a ticket because ignorance doesn't excuse you. Say amen right there. And uh, Eve's deception is not a pass. She doesn't get a pass. Um, it might shed some light on the failure of Adam. I'm not sure about that. But I think Adam had a duty and a responsibility to pass on the word of God uh, to his wife, uh, thus his family. And he did not maybe effectively do that. I don't know. I don't want to lay that blame at Adam's feet. But what I do know 
is that the Bible said Eve was deceived. And, uh, and yet Adam comes in, and the deceived, now fallen Eve, hands Adam that forbidden fruit. And the Bible said that Adam willfully took that fruit and consumed it. He was not deceived. I believe that the Bible would imply that he knew exactly what he was doing, and he knew exactly what the consequences were that he was going to do. But he had a problem. He was going to live forever in his perfection, and his bride was dying daily in her failures. Amen? And he looked at Eve and the gift that God had given him because she was God's gift to him. He loved the gift more than the giver. And so when faced, with a, when faced with a choice, he chose the gift over the giver. Amen. And so he chose to reject the God that gave him the gift so that he could embrace the gift that God gave him. And that's how we are. God has given us life when he saved us. And it's an abundant life when he saved us. Here we are tonight, and it seemed like the general theme of the song service as we went through the songs tonight had to do with how much God's done for us. But with that great gift to whom much is given, much is required. Say amen right there. And so, and so the context of the second epistle of Paul to Timothy is, Timothy, I'm done, I'm leaving, I'm finished. But somebody has got to pick up where I've left off. And somebody's got to go further than I've gone. And somebody's got to take up the slack. Say amen right there. Yep. And he looks at Timothy and he said, God has appointed you to take the mantle of the New Testament ministry, the church ministry, to the next generation. And that's why he said, the things which thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit that a faithful meaning shall be able to teach others also. Paul's transparent. He said there'll be compromise. There'll be times of weakness. There'll be perilous days. Amen. There'll be adversaries within the ministry. But he said in all these things continue until you've made full proof of the ministry. That's what God wants out of you. He wants full proof out of your life. We, hey, we're not Calvinists and thank God for that. But just because we don't believe in election doesn't mean we don't understand the foreknowledge of God. And he knows what's going to be tomorrow while it's still today. Amen. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't peer into the future. But God's already been there because he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the ending. Amen. And, uh, and when God saved you, he had a divine purpose for your life. I don't know how long you've been saved. I, I will next month, the Lord will, and mark 50 years of believing. Saved 50 years. Zachary, I don't even look like I'm 50 years old, do I, son? Amen. And he gave the right answer. He gave that good head nod. I like it. Amen. See me after church, Zach. We'll see what we can find. Amen. And, uh, and I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, um, I'll be saved 50 years next month, March the 31st, 1974. I'll be saved 50 years. And uh, when God saved me 50 years ago, he purposed something in my life. And my question is, 50 years later, have I lived up to 50 years worth of what God expected out of me? Now, I don't know if that gets you like it gets me, but it gets me. Amen. And uh, I, I run, sometimes I may think I run too much. Sometimes I feel like I'm a candle burning on both ends. And, I, and that's probably true. And I probably, there's times, Brother Mark, where I probably can't give 100% to something because I don't have 100% left to give. But I do that because I want to make full proof. I, the life that God has given us, how dare us consume it upon ourselves. We've got to use it. For the glory of God. Amen. God's got a purpose in your life. And what he says to Timothy is God's got a purpose in your life, but you're going to have to be strong. So let's read these verses, and then I'll, I'll continue our thought here in 2 Timothy chapter number 2. He said, Thou therefore, if you'd like to stand, 
He said, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So there's that generational continuance. He said, it's not just that you look around you and keep it going today. But he said, God's got something that he wants you to do to keep it going tomorrow. And next year, and another generation. Amen. And he said, thou therefore, verse number three, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if any man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must first be, must be first partakers or partaker of the fruits. I butchered that sixth verse. Let me read it again. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Thank you for standing and you may be seated. And so what I'm trying to deal with, the Holy Ghost helping us, is in 2 Timothy 2, in particular, in 2 Timothy 2, you'll find that there are six pictures that Paul paints for you and I, and it's through these little prisms that he wants us to look at the Christian life and the Christian experience, all right? I'm talking about our existence, not, and I've said this every night, and if God will help me, I'll say it every night. I'm not preaching a preacher's fellowship tonight. And I'm not just talking to men that God has called to be a preacher of the gospel, but I'm talking to every believer, amen, and the job, the task, the responsibility that God has given each one of us. And, uh, and so what Paul wants us to do is to look at the Christian life, and he gives us six examples in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, and he said if you'll look through this looking glass, this prism, and you'll see the Christian life as a soldier, see the Christian life as an athlete, see the Christian life as a husbandman or a farmer, he said if you'll do that, you can see that there are some principles that need to be applied to our lives, and there's some purpose that needs to be derived from our lives. Amen? It's not just the principles. It's the purpose. God needs some soldiers, said I have an amen right there. And he said we ought to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. That's the context of verse number three. And the first of these little pictures we looked at last night. And Paul said if you're going to be a good soldier, number one, you ought to prepare to endure some hardness. Amen? Going to have to endure some hardness. Number two, he said there's some entanglements that you're going to have to avoid. He said don't become entangled in the affairs of this life. The affairs of this life will cause you to consume your life for your own lust. Amen? I should have got a better amen than that. The affairs of this life will cause you to consume this life for your own lust. That is what gives you purpose or gratification. And he said, so you and I got to watch that. Don't get entangled. Make every decision in light of what God's purpose is for your life. Amen. Every once in a while I get asked to preach to a group of young preachers. You know, young men maybe that are not just, uh, just getting started in the ministry. Maybe they are. Maybe young pastors, every once in a while I get that opportunity. And uh, I, know, I know if things happen the way they're looking to fall out, sometime in October I'm going to go to Romania, and that's one of the things I'm going to do. I'm going to preach to a whole bunch of pastors, and I like that. That's encouraging. But if I, if I say to those young men, and I, I do stand on the premise of 47 years of experience, the Lord, the Lord having purpose, this is Saturday the 23rd. I think I'm right. I think calendar-wise it's the 23rd. Um, that's the 24th, 23rd, Saturday's the 23rd, whatever day the 23rd is. Today's what, Brother Philip? He's looking at his watch. Friday, all right. Well, Friday it is then. Friday is my ministerial anniversary, 47 years. 
years. Amen. Been in this thing 47 years. And if you could say anything to those young men, this is what you say to them. You say, if God has called you to preach and God has put you in ministry and God has given you a purpose in ministry, then that is the preeminent fact of your life and every decision you make is made in light of that ministry call. Amen. Am I right? Somebody say amen. And and so and listen, so it comes down to this. If they're of, of courtship age, then then that you say you don't even consider a courtship with somebody who's not willing to be committed to ministry. Why would you do that? Because what you've done is you've given an avenue where you can become entangled with the affairs of this life. Amen. Why why would you make a financial decision? that would bind you up and prohibit you from doing what God has purposed you to do. That's getting entangled with it. I'm, I'm not trying to re-preach last night's message, but I'm, I'm hung up here just a minute. Amen. And, and I think what Paul is saying to Timothy, don't get entangled with the things around you, with the affairs of this life. Amen. There, there's, a, there's a principle in that. If I were to take you, let's run a rabbit. Colossians chapter number 3. Look in Colossians chapter number 3. I'm going to have to pick up pace because we've still got five pictures in a sidebar and we're down to three nights. Amen. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then the book of Colossians. Look in chapter number 3. This will help us if we'll let it help us. Colossians chapter number 3, verse number 1. Paul said, if you then be risen with Christ. Now, who's he talking about? Lost or saved? Saved, folks. Amen. If you then be risen with Christ, and if you want to know where we get that concept, you've got to look back to verse 20 in chapter 2. But, but he's talking about saved, folks. These words are not written for lost people. And they're not a means of salvation. They are because of our Salvation, if you did be risen with Christ, look what he said. Seek those things which are above. Now that's an action word. The word seek means to pursue. Amen. Let me tell you where we're at in Christianity today. People get saved by the grace of God and they find themselves a nice comfortable pew. And they just drop anchor right there and, and, and they like to come and watch the preacher dish it up and they like to listen to the singer sing it up. And, uh, and they're reasonably faithful to the house of God, but that's about as far as it's going to go. They are not in pursuit. Amen. They are stagnant and they're not pursuing. And I believe that the purpose of God in our lives is to have a pursuit of the things of God. That means we go looking for them, that we're searching for them, amen, that we're seeking them out. He said, you're going to have to seek those things which are above. Notice the direction, above, above, above. What will you find if you look above? Look at the text, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Seek Christ. Seek a relationship with Christ. Seek fellowship with Christ. Seek to serve Christ. Seek to please Christ. Amen. Sounds like what I dealt with last night. Amen. That he may please him who have chosen him to be a soldier. You got to quit looking around the world and start looking up at heaven where you'll come in contact with Christ. Seek Christ. Look at verse 2. Once you seek him... And you find him, look at the next word. He said, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So we're to seek spiritual things. We're to seek Christ, amen. Paul said, I've counted all things but dung that I might win Christ. Surely we know better than to think he was talking about getting saved. Amen. That I may know him. In the power of his resurrection, amen. That's what he was looking for. That's what he was seeking. And he said, if necessary, I have foregone 
everything else so that I may win Christ. He said once you find him, you seek him in verse 1, but once you find him, he said, set your affection on things above. Notice the difference. Not on things on the earth. Amen. Most believers today are way too preoccupied with earthly things. They've not got locked in on heavenly things. Amen. Now, it looks like we got a pretty good crowd tonight, probably as good as we've had any night this week. And I'm going to tell you that there's probably some church folks that could have been here tonight that's not here tonight. Amen. And there is providential hindering, and I get that. There are sicknesses and I believe in 2024 even a job is understandable. But you listen to me and you hear me real well. There's others tonight that are just more in love with the world than they are in love with God. Amen. They've got entangled with the affairs of this life. And they're more in love with the things in the world than they are with the things of God. But he said once you find a relationship with God, set your affection on the things above, there's the contrast again, not on things on the earth. You find Christ, let Christ be enough. Amen. If, 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 if somehow or another I could get one message across to, to teenagers in, in, in 2024, it's been the same message I've been trying to get across for 50 years. Here it is, Brother Philip, let Christ be enough in your life. Amen. Let Christ be enough in your life. Amen. You've got to learn to find contentment in Christ because if you don't, when you get to the age where you make the decision about where you go and how you do, you'll be gone. That's why they turn 17 and 18. or It shouldn't be 16, but unfortunately in our world it is. And somehow or another they get the keys to an automobile and they get a part-time job. And they no longer have time for church, and we don't have parents that say, you're going to make time for church. Same in right there. They still eat at your table and put their feet under your, under, your, under your table, and they still sleep in that bed. I'd say asking them to be at church is not asking too much. Now, I'm real cautious, because if there's anything I'm a failure at, it's fatherhood. And I mean that in a real sincere way, in a real big way, and if you hung around me, you'd understand that. But I have made it real clear to my boys, there's still some rules to be at the house. Amen. And avoid dogmas, because dogmas come back and bite you in bad places. Amen right there. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you, you still have some authority if you're the one in the providing role. Well, I got to move on. Amen. But he said, seek. When you find it, set your affection on things above. Love Christ more then you love the world. Well, preacher, I do. I do. Do you really? Because if you do, it will govern the decisions that you make. Amen. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Let me say that again. If you love me, prove it, keep my commandments. I just can't get past that. Because he said if we seek him, then we ought to set our affection. Now, the interesting choice in words there is the word set. We understand what affection is. That's what we love. That's where our passion is. But the word set is a word of purpose. It's a choice. You ever heard that? Love's a choice. Say amen right there. That's exactly right. Amen. If you've been mar- if you are married, If you are a married couple tonight, you understand that as you go through the ups and downs of your relationship, there'll be days when you have to go back and say it was a choice. Amen. And isn't that an interesting terminology? Because sometimes you'll get to the place where you'll say, as you hold your spouse's hand and glow in the the good times that you're enjoying together, you'll say, I made the right choice. Amen. And then there'll be other days when it's dark and dingy, and all hell's breaking loose, but you're not leaving. Say amen right there. And uh, you might not be on the best speaking terms for a day or two. And if you think that ain't the case, you are... 
He's more diplomatic than I was. I was going to say, you need to learn what it means to tell the truth, is what I was fixing to say. Amen. And, uh, and there'll be some days you may not be on the best of terms with each other, but you're not going anywhere. Why? Because you made a choice. And uh, it's the right choice to make a choice for Christ. And, and that, there's where we are. We got saved and we know we're saved and God gave us a life worth living, an abundant life. But where do we love? How do we act? Are we making a choice to give him the preeminence in our life? It's a set your affection. You've got to choose what you love the most. There's a whole lot of believers that sure aren't loving Christ like they ought to. They're loving the world more than they love Christ. Now, go on, look with me. He said, for you're dead and your life is hid with God, is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. There's the key to this whole thing. Christ, who is our life. Christ, who is our life. Amen. Where do you get your strength from? Where do you get your satisfaction from? That's a heart-wrenching question, amen. But it demands an answer. Do you, get more, do you get more enjoyment from the things of the world and the things of the flesh or from the things of God? That's the question. And somewhere along the way, we've got to choose to enjoy God more then we enjoy the world. Amen. And he said, he said that because he's our life. And when, his, when Christ who is our life shall appear, you shall also appear with him in glory. Now, I like to seek and I like to set my affections on him. But I'm kind of like Paul said in Romans chapter number 7. He said that the will is present, but how to perform it I find not. Amen. But he gave us an answer. Y'all ready? This isn't pretty. This isn't pretty preaching, but it'll preach and it'll help us. He said in verse number five, and I, let me let me put it this way: If you want, after you have sought out Christ, if you want to set your affections on Him, here's how you do it. He, he's given us this look, and He said, "Don't look down, don't look around, look up, look up, look up, don't look around." And He said, "But there's a problem. That's where your members are." Amen. That's where your members are. That that is your your flesh, your senses. And uh, he said, so in verse number five, you've got to mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. And, and, and he talks about the sins that the members can pursue after fornication, adultery, uncleanliness, and so forth. I'm not going down that list tonight because it's not the context of what I'm trying to preach to you. What I am saying is, if you think that your flesh wants to have all of God, you've got another thought coming. Amen. How many of you would be honest enough to give this honor? Don't raise your hand. We're not looking to embarrass anybody. How many of you would be honest enough to admit that you had to fight your flesh to come to church tonight? Amen. Yeah, all of us did to some degree. Amen. Your recliner was calling. Now, there was supper provided at the church for those that was able to come in and eat tonight. And what a gracious thing that is to know that you can come right in out of work and if necessary, there's a meal sitting on the table. But, but you know what it, how it goes if that had been no meal provided here. You might not have gotten home in time to eat and you had to, you had to forego your dinner until you got home tonight. And you're tired, you worked all day, you're a little bit stressed out, you had to rush in and get a shower. And, uh, and you really wanted to go sit in the recliner and put your feet up, maybe your favorite television program's on, whatever that could possibly be. Amen? And, uh, and, and you had to do fleshly fighting, didn't you? Amen? You had to battle your flesh because you kept saying, I could do, <laughs> I really want to do. Amen? Huh? And, uh, and uh, man, listen to me. You could have sat down in your recliner, waited till about, 8.15, got up and went to the freezer and got a great big old bottle of ice cream, bowl of ice cream, and had the time of your life, amen. But your flesh had to be overcome so that you'd make it to the house of God. And I'm telling you, it is a everyday decision, day after day after day. That's what we have to choose. We have to say, Lord, you gave me a life worth living, and I'm going to use that life 
to give you honor and you glory and I will be satisfied with God. He's enough. Amen. He'll never be enough your flesh, but you'll have to crucify your flesh, put it to death, mortify your members. So that's what he's talking about. Don't get entangled with the affairs of this life, but take the life that God has given you and give it back to him. Well, let's try to get to picture number two since I chased that rabbit, all right? So we talked about that sober soldier. It's a life and death thing. We're in a fight. We're in a fight. Then number two, I want you to look with me now. We're in verse number five of 2 Timothy 2. And this is what he said. If, any, if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. Now, when we talked about the sober soldier in verse three and four, we concluded there's no room for carelessness. Amen. Loose lips sink ships. You get careless about your Christianity, you'll reveal a weakness to the demons of hell and the devil will bring you down. Amen. So you can't get careless. You've got to take on the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in that evil day. But then when he comes to verse number five, uh, he's talking about an athlete. And that some people think that this matter is dealing more with the soldiering, but he doesn't deal with the soldiering because he's talking about being crowned. That would have been an easily understood term in the days of Paul and the introduction of Olympic Games as we know them today. And, and so he's talking about the athlete who's striving for masteries. Now, there's two words I want to kind of define for you from a biblical perspective. The first one is this word striving. That is an interesting term to place in this context because to strive does mean to fight, right? But the word strive literally means this. It makes great effort to achieve or to obtain something. It means to struggle or fight vigorously. Amen. It means that this is a serious matter. Amen. So you're striving for the masteries. Thayer defines the word strive in scriptural context as being this, to engage in intensity, to endure or to suffer or to contend for a prize. To contend means to struggle to surmount something or to overcome something. It is a fight. Somebody say amen. Man, you, you ain't been saved. You ain't been saved seven days until you understand there's a fight involved in the Christian life. Amen. And the problem is sometimes we just got tired of the fight and gave in to the flesh. Amen. There's no room to give in to the flesh. We got to fight, fight, fight. When I think about the word contend, I moved to Jude chapter, uh, chapter 1. I moved to Jude verse number 3. There's just one chapter. Where Jude said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, that's what he wanted to write about, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. Sounds a little bit like Paul's admonition to Timothy, the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same to commit thou to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Brethren, this is a consistent theme in our Bible. It is a New Testament principle. And, and of course, Jude, this is not Paul writing. This is Jude writing. And Jude said, we ought to earnestly contend for, fight for. Now, that fight for does not mean to defend, but it means to declare. We ought to be declaring the faith which was once delivered to the saints. We don't need a new pathway. Amen. Let me say it this way. We don't need a new Bible. We got the right manuscript. We don't need new music. We got the right music. Amen. We don't need a new message. Amen. We don't have to rip the platform out and put in stage lights. Amen. I, I, listen to me. When it becomes a stage, you get a performance. Yeah, it's polished real good, but it doesn't have any God. Polished won't get nobody saved. It's God gets people saved. And, 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 and that's the modern... That's the modern thing that we are contending for. But Jude was contending for it, and he said he needed to exhort the brethren that they needed to contend for. 
We got to keep pressing for it. We got to we got to strive for it. We got to make efforts to obtain and to achieve the goal that is set before us. The second word we need to look at is the word mastery. Because the word mastery by its own definition means to be the best. But here's where we are. We want to say be the best you can be. Listen to me. Are you with me now? That ain't nothing. There ain't nothing in your Bible that said be the best you can be. I'm always amazed. I grew up hearing well-meaning men try to encourage the saints of God, Brother Mark, by saying, God will never put more on you than you can bear. God will never put you through more than you can tolerate, more than you can bear. Not Bible. They meant well, and I know what they were saying. I don't think they were so wrong in their theology, but that's not right theology. Because God will indeed put more on you than you can have. And I would conclude, I would conclude from my study of the scripture that I believe God purposes to put more on you than you can bear. <laughs> as long as you can bear it, he won't get no glory. Amen. But it's when God puts more on you than you can handle that he steps in and says, let me handle it for you. And God gets the glory. That's what God's about. God's about getting the glory. Amen. That's exactly. And this matter of being master of something, it does not mean being the best you can be because you ain't got nothing to offer anyway. But, but it means being the best by an approved standard. Amen? And, and, and so here's the principle. This matter of being a master of something means that we're going to have to excel above ourselves, but we can only do that if we lean on the God that called us to strive for the mastery in the first place. Amen. That's exactly right. Let me show you a verse of Scripture. Look in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. If I've ever signed your Bible, this is the verses that I've put there. And uh, many years I've tried my best to put it to memory, but I wouldn't dare try to quote it to you tonight because I'd mess it up. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech, or wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God. Look what he said. He said, I did not have an excellent speech. I did not have wisdom, but I was declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in look, weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so this matter of striving, being a striving athlete, the idea is that we are striving, we are fighting vigorously to be the best. But we can only do that when we are dependent upon God and He empowers and God enables us. Amen. So, so there's three principles that needs to be considered concerning this athlete. And here's the terminology I want you to use. Might pencil it in in your margin of your Bible. If the soldier cannot be careless, then the athlete cannot be casual. Amen. If we were to contact the orthopedic surgeons offices in Hattiesburg, Mississippi tomorrow and we were to say to them we were to say to them where do most of your cases come from? Is it professional athletes that get injured in their daily routine? No. Oh you get one every once in a while that ends up twisting in a way he shouldn't have twisted or turning in a way he shouldn't have turned and do some pretty good damage and need some kind of surgery or just maybe wore out the, 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 the baseball industry, wears out joints and, 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 you know, you get elbows and shoulders and knees that have to be worked on. We understand that. But you know what the orthopedic would tell you where most of his cases come? <laughs> weekend athletes. I mean, they, weekend warriors, that's right. They, 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 they punch a clock or sit at a desk 
um, for five days and then think they're a super athlete on Saturday and they're getting out doing things that they shouldn't have done 30 years ago, nevertheless where they are today. And the next thing they got is a ride in an ambulance. Amen. And bones pointed in directions bones are not supposed to be pointed. Amen. Cracks and splinters and sprains and all that kind of stuff. Why? Because they were casual about their athleticism. And if you're casual, listen to me, if you're careless, you'll get shot. But if you are casual, you'll get injured. And I'm afraid there's a lot of people that are casual in their Christianity. And, and, and this text said that you're not going to receive the prize unless you are committed. An athlete, a striving athlete, is committed to win regardless of the cost. Amen? Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 25, and you can look it up when you get home, it's in my notes. He said, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they that do it obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Man, you know what? We, we don't have a very temperate Christianity today. That word simply means disciplined. Come on now. Amen. And he said a striving athlete has got to be committed to do whatever is necessary to win for Christ regardless of the price. Uh, we got to know where we're headed. Paul would say in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 9, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. Amen. Stop chasing your tail. Walk on to the purpose of God and do whatever it takes to get there. Amen. Whatever it takes to get there. Me and Brother Billy Ray were talking about Edgar Thomas, I think, Monday night at supper. And uh, I served four years under his brother, so in those days I got to spend a little extra time with Brother Edgar. And such a tremendous man of God. Just an unusual man of God. But he had a radio broadcast on what we knew in Atlanta, Georgia, as the big gun, AM 1010. It was a full gospel station, but it was a commercial station. They sold time and advertisement. Most of their time was just blocks of time for preachers. And Mays Jackson was on there one time a week. Mays Jackson, the truck driver special, was heard all across the United States. But it was not heard but one time a week in Atlanta, Georgia, which was his hometown. Because Mays Jackson told me, he said, ain't nobody, but my, there's nobody in the independent Baptist movement that could stay on the radio 30 minutes a day on the big gun except for Edgar Thomas. Well, here was the story. Brother Edgar was a, a young man, and he said that, uh, of course, he'd gotten saved by the grace of God. God put him in the ministry. He felt like God wanted him to go on the radio station. And in those days, Brother Joe, for a man to go on the big gun in Atlanta, Georgia, you had to pay one year in advance. One year for five days. Away. I have no idea what kind of money we're talking about, but a sizable sum even way back then. And this is, we're, we're talking 45, 50 years ago. And, uh, and, and, and Brother Edgar was so convinced that that was the purpose of God for his life. He come home and told Miss Catherine, his wife, he said, honey, we're going to put the house up for sale. We're going to sell our house and take the money from the sale of our house. We're going on the radio. I'm going on the radio because that's what God said to do. Now, I don't believe he had to do that. I believe God intervened. God moved. God did some things. But I'm telling you, the purpose was this. He was striving for masteries, and he was willing to be so temperate that he would do whatever had to be done to win and when you and I get to the place where we're willing to do whatever it takes to win uh, for the glory of God, we'll see something happen in our lives. Amen. There's a commitment to be found. Then there's a crowning to be found. He said in our text verse, he said, he, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. Amen. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians verse, in chapter 9, verse number 17, talking about the preaching of the gospel. He said, for if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. Amen. But if it gets my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. And Paul would close out this book, 2 Timothy, in chapter 4 as he's getting ready to depart. This was his confidence. Listen to the confidence of Paul. 
Henceforth, he said, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day and not to me only but unto all them also that love he is appearing. He was confident in a crown. Amen. He had a commitment. He's confident in a crown. Then I got to say this, and I'm moving on. You got to notice there's a compliance in the text. He must strive, same word, lawfully. Got to play according to the rules. Amen. Now, we may, man to man, preacher to preacher, church to church, we may have somewhat of a disagreement at times on what disqualifies a man. But we must agree that things do disqualify a man. And the problem in 2024 is not the diversity of our opinions, but it is the crowd that don't believe there's anything that keeps somebody from being involved in the work of God. Amen. Listen, and that, I, I, I want to touch three things in that, and then I'm moving on. But number one, there's a moral qualification. Not just a marital qualification, although that's there too. Somebody say amen. But there's a moral qualification. Right? Man's got to be qualified morally. If he's living like hell and the devil, and he's openly engaging in sin, then he hadn't got no business being in the forefront of the work of God. Amen. And I don't give a royal rip if that's preaching in a pulpit or singing behind the piano, amen, or teaching a class. I'm not even sure he needs to be sweeping the floors if his life is in immorality. Amen. It's a moral qualification. That seems common sense to me. Somebody say amen right there. There's, there's, there's. Maturity qualifications in the ministry, at least a man can't be a novice. There's a methodology qualification. Now we act differently, and men preach differently, deliveries are different, sometimes approaches are different, and I'm all right with that. But I'm telling you, I watch men that act dishonestly. They're deceptive in the way they handle the Word of God. But Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Amen? Moral, marital, maturity, methodology, and then the means. That is the resource of our, of, our, of our work for God. I want to say ministry, but I don't want you to get hung up on ministry for a preacher. Amen. Listen, if we're going to serve God, it's got to be in the spirit and not in the flesh. Let me say that again. It's got to be in the spirit and not in the flesh. It's got to be empowered not by personality, not by a silver-tongued orator, not by somebody that knows how to polish their stage presentation. Amen. But by the Spirit of God. Are you listening? Amen. So there's got to be a, there's got to be an athlete. There's going to be a striving athlete. He's pushing for a cause. And he's not casual. He's temperate. He's committed. He wants to finish. Amen. Now look at this third picture in verse number six. I'll, I'm going to hit it quickly because the hours done got late. But he said, the husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. So we talked about that soldier, sober soldier. He cannot be careless. We talked about that athlete, that striving athlete. He cannot be casual. He's got to be committed to this thing. But then this long-suffering husbandman, amen, and he cannot be complacent. The key to this verse in verse number 6 is the word laboreth. Where did we come to the conclusion that the work of God was not work at all? The word labor or laboreth in this text means to, it implies that which is hard or difficult. And it 
perfect illustration. This church would understand, or at least the women of this church understand, is when the woman has a child. There's a little bit of pain involved, isn't there? No, preacher, you can't even say that. There's a whole lot of pain involved. He said, if you and I are going to be the right kind of husbandman, farmer, John Phillips said that word means tiller of the ground, but it also means keeper of the vine. And if we're going to be a husbandman, it's going to be a labor. There is a work for us to do. You and I are going to have to consider this in our Christian experience. Number one, notice the position identified. He's the husband. Every time I read that, I thought, Lord, what's the purpose in identifying the believer as a husbandman? Well, you know what the husbandman is? The husbandman is the one who takes responsibility for the vineyard. Mm. Not just the preacher, because it's just hitting a preacher's text, but somebody that takes responsibility for the vineyard. You remember that illustration, Brother Philip? Jesus gave us that illustration. He said that a man who owned a vineyard came to a fig tree, owned a, an orchard, if you want to use that terminology, a vineyard, a garden. And he came to a fig tree, and there was no figs on it. And the owner acknowledged that it had been two years or three years, and he said, I've come looking multiple times to get figs off of this tree. I planted it or had it planted so that it would produce figs. And he said, here I come looking for fruit again. And he said, there's been no fruit. So he said, cut it down. Why cumbereth it the grain? Now there's all kinds of pictures that we can have conversations about and the illustration and the application and, and, uh, and, 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 and some really good stuff. Brian McBride's got some great stuff where he preaches about that being a type of Israel and the patience of God toward Israel and how they'll, be fruitful, they'll bring forth fruit in the end. Picture that I want you to think about is the husbandman, the keeper of that vineyard, the husbandman, the one that had responsibility for it, came back and he said, Sir, he said, uh, Let's give it another year. And what did he say he would do? He said, I'm going to dung it, I'm going to dig about it, and I'm going to give it some water, and I'm going to give it some fertilizer, and I'm going to give it every opportunity that I can to produce. Amen. He took responsibility. For the production of the fruit. I'm saying to you and I as believers, we need to take responsibility. If your family goes to hell, take responsibility. Your neighbors need Christ, take responsibility. Your community needs Christ, take responsibility. That's what he means. Step up to your position. We're husbandmen. Amen. Then there's physical labor. May I say it replies, this word physical labor, labor means dull, unpleasant, difficult. And I'm going to add this term, repetition. If you're going to do the work of God, you might as well get ready. You're going to have to do it over and over and over and over and over and over again. Is much of what we do in ministry, much of what we do for the kingdom's sake is not pretty, but it's necessary. Amen. There's a preparation in the labor that speaks about the plowing. There's a planting in the labor. The seed cannot remain in the barn. There's a purging in the labor. Weeds and pests must be removed and water must be provided. There's a picking in the process. At some point, the harvest has to be gathered. We have to ask people about eternity. And there's the processing. What's been gathered must be put in the barn. That's discipleship. And friend, we got to do it over and over and over and over again. Dull at times, repetitious at times, but it produces the fruit that is necessary. Physical labor, position, and patience. First, partaker of the fruit. He simply said this. <laughs> you got to hang around. And be patient till the crop comes in. Don't fall out early. Don't quit too soon. You can enjoy 
the reward, John Butler said, it's a reward for your sweating. <laughs> Amen. To be a partaker of the fruit is a reflection on the toil and the weariness that has been required to get us to the place where we are. The fields plowed, inherited, seed sown, soil fertilized, weeds removed, uh, fences kept in good repair. And he said the crops have to be cut, threshed, and gathered. But he said if we've labored well, when we partake of the fruits, we will receive the glory for those efforts. In just a, a month or so from now, at just a month or so of now, I'll make a, an annual trip that the Lord has let me make for several years to Minnesota. And uh, I think uh, maybe tomorrow or Friday, y'all are supposed to get back up in the mid-80s, which is a little bit more where I expected to be in South Mississippi this time of year. And, uh, and uh, they won't be there. Last year, I've got a picture on my phone. Last year when I did their missions conference, the last week in March, there was about a three and a half foot wall of snow on either side of the walkway from the little parking lot to the front door of the church. They gave up. They just kept it shoveled out and piled over. They normally tried to remove it. The preacher's house is next door to the church, no further than from here to the parking lot. And uh, they've got a, 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 a paved sidewalk across through there. And he said, I, didn't, I don't even keep it anymore. He said, I gave up. And that was with a snowblower. They had had record accumulations of snow. And when I left, and I think we left, Melissa, on April 2nd, if I recall right, around April 2nd. I left on Monday morning. We got up and got out and got gone. Uh, well before lunch that day because they were predicting snow to start again on Monday night and they were calling for two foot on top of what they already had, two foot. And I didn't want to get caught in two more foot. It snowed every year we've been there, amen. And, uh, and, and, uh, and we got over there and, 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 and in that church is several farmers, but one in particular is named Daryl Moore. He's my friend. And Brother Daryl, he's got, probably measured in the thousands of acres in his own use, but he leases additional acres and he plants all kinds of things. He's got corn and soybean and a lot of sugar beets. Sugar beets go in the ground first. And I looked at him when I'm out there, and they've still got enough snowpack that we rode snowmobiles in his fields. And I looked at him, and I said, Brother Dale, are you getting worried? And it's first April. Last Sunday I was there was in April. And I said, are you getting worried? He looked at me, and you could tell they don't say a whole lot. They're not show a whole lot of emotion, but he said just a little because by now the fields should have been plowed. They don't have enough snow melt in the field that they can plow it yet. But that means the ground has to fall deep enough so that it won't break their plow. And uh, he said maybe. He said the feather, weather forecast, they weren't worried about this wet snow that was coming in. They said it's going to be a wet snow, spring snow, and it'll, it'll dissipate quickly. And they said, we're looking for those brown patches of soil to start appearing. One of the most oddest things you'll ever see is when the, the, the outlines of the field are still covered in snow and in the field is still sizable patches of snow, but enough brown ground has appeared to let them know the ground is thawed deep enough that they can plow the field. And on a blustery, cold winter day with gray skies and snow flurries, and not a green twig in a, in three states. And they are, I mean, it ain't no evergreens much. And they're out there in, in that cold, miserable weather. And you know what they're doing? They're plowing that field. They're plowing that field. That, that's the most oddest sight you'll ever see. Now, I've been back out there in the summer and the fields are green, and the crops are ready, and uh, they're beginning to get to the place where they're ready to be harvested. But what about plowing a field on a snowy day? But that's the labor that's required. If you're going to have any fruit for the kingdom's sake, you'll have to plow when it doesn't seem like there's any benefit in it. Let's go ahead and give them a gospel witness. Go ahead and tell them about Jesus. Go ahead and pray again. Go ahead and knock on that door again. Go ahead and preach the message again. Go ahead and witness again. You understand what I'm saying? It may seem like it's falling on deaf ears, but keep on telling. Keep on telling because who knows when a spring rain might fall and when the sun might begin to shine 
and break down a cold stony heart and the glorious light of the gospel begin to shine in their hearts. I'm telling you, we cannot be complacent. There's no room to sit on the sidelines. Get up, get in the fight, get busy, get in the field. There's work to be done. Even if it looks like it's barren, even if it looks like it's winter, plow on, plow on, plow on. The work of God must press on if we're going to bear fruit for the kingdom's sake. How do you see your life? Look through that prism. If you look through the prism of soldiering, are you, are you a good soldier who's not careless? If you look through the prism of that athlete, are you striving for the masters? Are you an athlete that's not casual with your Christianity, but you're committed to the cause? What if you get that looking glass up and you look through and you say, I'm seeing my life as a Christian through that prism of being a husband and a farmer. Huh. Are you sitting on the side? Oh. The Bible speaks about the sluggard will be, will be begging in the harvest because he didn't plow in the winter. Are you complacent? Are you just sitting there waiting on somebody else to do the work of God? Or are you engaged and busy? about the Father's business. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Miss Angela's coming to the piano.